I'm Bonnie Lin, Director of the China Power Project and Senior Fellow for Asian Security at the Center for Strategic International Studies. In this episode of the China Power Podcast, we're discussing China's ambitions in space. Where do China's space capabilities stand in comparison to that of other countries? And what does this mean for the future of competition and cooperation in space? Here to discuss this and more is Carrie Bingen, Director of the Aero Security Project and a Senior Fellow in the International Security Program here at CSIS. She joined CSIS from Hawkeye 360, an innovative space technology company creating a new class of radio frequency data and analytics. Prior to the private sector, Ms. Bingen served as a Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence and Security, overseeing the defense, intelligence, and security enterprises comprising more than 120,000 personnel and an annual budget of over $54 billion. Before that, she served as the policy director on the House Armed Services Committee and staff lead for its Strategic Forces Subcommittee, advising members of Congress on defense policy, program, and budget matters. In addition to her work at CSIS, Ms. Bingen is an adjunct assistant professor at Georgetown University. Carrie, thanks so much for being here. Thanks, Bonnie. It's really great to join you and to now be part of the CSIS team of scholars and experts. Thank you. So the topic that we'll discuss today is China's space capabilities as well as its ambitions in space. Maybe just to kick things off for a bit of background for our listeners, could you walk us through the current state of space? Who are the major players there? What are some of the key space achievements or advancements that countries are focused on? Sure. I think it is a really exciting time in space right now. Yes, it's rocket science, but there have been tremendous advances in technology in even just the last decade. So the building of smaller satellites, the lower cost of launch is making space more accessible to a variety of countries into a wider range of users and applications. So rewind back to the 1960s when we had six countries in space. Today, there are 90 countries and many of them, many commercial actors and, and non-government organizations. And also some of these emerging space countries. So not just the United States, China, Russia, but the United Arab Emirates went from no space agency in 2014 to launching a satellite to Mars seven years later with the average age of their mission team of 27 years old. Kenya just launched their first operational satellite in April uh, 2023. So a lot of countries are getting into space. They recognize not just the national security benefits, but also the economic benefits the space economy is near $470 billion, as estimated by the Space Foundation, growing to $1 to $3 trillion by 2040. Over 90% of today's satellites are commercial. Space is revolutionizing sectors like communications, finance, agriculture, transportation, and understanding the environment. We're seeing a convergence between not just what's happening with space and the collection of data from space, but it merging with the applications of artificial intelligence and automation and analytics to get to deeper insights about 
the earth and activity on the earth, as well as activity up in space. So space is just far more accessible than I think it's ever been. And I would say that the future is going to be overwhelmingly commercial and globalized, uh, no longer just dominated by a few governments and government resources. Sure. So Carrie, you mentioned that space is important for both national security, but also in terms of the economic value for communications, finance, agriculture. Could you talk a little bit more on why is space so important for national security? Space underpins our military's way of warfighting. It enables our military to project power across the globe. When you think of our distributed forces, they rely on communications, our intelligence capabilities, and being able to understand what's happening in denied areas across the globe. We rely on space to gather that information. As we employ unmanned aerial vehicles, we rely on communication satellites to relay data and commands to them. And just in the employment of our weapon systems, uh, how we navigate, all of that rests on GPS that's provided from satellites, as well as things like the weather is understanding sea currents to help our Navy and understanding uh, what the environment may be uh, as, as uh, we're sending troops into a location that maybe they haven't been before. So weather and mapping information is, is critically important. So it does underpin really everything we do uh, from a military perspective. Thank you. And given how important space is, not only for the military, but also for thinking about economic value of space and the importance of space to modern technology, as you mentioned, the application of artificial intelligence. How do you think of China's ambitions in space? Um, What are some of the critical space assets that China already possesses and what is it pursuing? We've heard the U.S. Department of Defense leadership talk about China is our pacing challenge and our most consequential strategic competitor. I would say that this also holds true in the space arena. Beijing is currently pursuing the most expansive space program right now, growing its space capabilities and services, but also its counter space programs. And what I mean by that is it is developing weapons and means to hold our satellites at risk. China leverages space just like we do. They leverage it for national security reasons, for intelligence gathering to support their military and keep them connected as they're on the go. But they also leverage space for economic reasons to grow their own industrial base and technology sectors. And and those are going to challenge us diplomatically, economically, and militarily. China's emphasis on space starts at the top. President Xi Jinping has articulated a space dream to make China the foremost space power by 2045 and to lead by 2049. Aerospace was designated as one of the top 10 priorities in Beijing's Made in China 2025 strategic initiative that is aimed at achieving technology breakthroughs and boosting their innovation base. So it is a priority that has come from the top and has been directed down across their military and economic sector and business sectors. So when you say that China has a goal to lead in space by 2049, 
what does that actually mean? Does that mean that China has the most space assets or most advanced space assets? I'm just asking because you mentioned how, in some ways, how saturated space is with 90 countries and many commercial actors. What does leading in space actually mean? Bonnie, it's a great question. I don't think I've seen Chinese leadership define what leadership in space looks like, but they're pursuing a range of capabilities in space, both. Within their their military, as well as their state-owned enterprises, as well as even their their burgeoning commercial sector, and it spans a range of、uh, pursuing intelligence satellites, communication satellites, their version of GPS called Beidou. They are putting a lot of capability up there right now, and just capacity in terms of number of satellites, and they're doing it pretty darn quickly. They're also pursuing a range of Space weapons that would be able to hold our satellites, our space capabilities at risk, and to erode the advantage that space provides us. So, Carrie, thank you very much. Let me follow up on some of the Chinese activities that you mentioned, and I know you covered quite a bit of this in the recent CSIS report you released on assessing space threats across the board. We know that in the recent years, China has been ramping up its space launches. Can you provide a bit more insight into China's space launch capabilities and what China or other countries do in general with these space launches? Sure, Bonnie, and thank you for highlighting our recently released report on space threat assessments. So, the aerospace security team here at CSIS produces an annual report, drawing from publicly available information and commercial data sets, to put together a picture of what foreign actors are doing in the space security arena and the different types of. Counter space weapons they're pursuing that could hold our satellite capabilities at risk, that could interfere with, degrade, or or destroy those assets. So so thank thanks for letting me mention that. We do have a section that we feature in the report specifically on China, and just starting with、uh, what China what we see China doing on the space launch front is. As we look back at 2022, they broke their launch record in the last year, surpassing their previous record of launches from、uh, 2021. The vast majority of these, of these missions were launched on a family of rockets that they call the Long March space launch vehicles that can provide that can deliver satellites into a range of orbits from low Earth orbit. All the way out to thirty-six、uh, thousand kilometers outside of Earth in geosynchronous orbit. We've also seen, and we highlight this in the report, of a shift in the last decade in China's commercial space industry. Back in 2014, the government lifted a restrictive policy that prohibited the creation of commercial space launch companies and commercial launch technologies. And so, as a result of that, we've seen greater investment, both from the state as well as the private sector, into the commercial space launch market. And we're seeing that pay off for Beijing.、Uh, in April of this year, they conducted their first commercial space launch from China with a company called Space Pioneer、um, that launched a small satellite up into low Earth orbit. So they're making they they've been a long time space launch. 
uh, actor, and it's only expanding both by the government and their commercial sector. And I guess one question I have in not being a space expert is why do we track these launches? Are the number of launches per year, is that a, a representation of how active a country is becoming in space? Or I guess why... Why do we care? It's an indicator of what they're putting up on orbit. And exactly as you said, is how active and how robust of a space program that they have. So, Carrie, when you talk about space launches, what are we actually referring to? Is it only satellites? What exactly does China launch into space? Interesting you mentioned that. I mean, these, these rockets, these space launch vehicles, largely launch satellites into orbit. They'll launch exploration probes to look at what's happening towards the moon, Mars, and to explore the solar system. But these same rockets can also be used to launch hypersonic glide vehicles that that our military is extremely concerned about. And just in the last year alone, and we highlight this in our report, uh, they launched two space planes, one that went orbital and stayed in orbit for several months, and one that went suborbital. So the space plane just went up and then it came back down again. The orbital one was really interesting to us. It stayed in low Earth orbit for several months. Last fall, it raised its orbit and the space plane launched a projectile out of it. This is where our commercial space sector also has some interesting capabilities to bring to bear. We have this burgeoning sector that's doing space situational awareness. So they're using optical cameras. They're using radars to look up into space and see what's happening. And they're doing this commercially and then uh, providing shareable, unclassified data to others. There have been several commercial space situational awareness companies that actually detected and saw this Chinese space plane release an object uh, into orbit last fall. And when the Chinese space plane, the one that was orbital, when it released a projectile, do we have a sense that the space plane was still communicating with Chinese controllers on the ground or was it operating completely independently up in space? I would be fairly confident in saying that that that, that space plane was still maintaining communications and taking commands from controllers on the ground. What I can't tell you, and I don't know based on our open source, publicly available research, is exactly what that projectile was. But clearly it shows a latent weapons capability that if China wanted to use a space plane in a more nefarious way, you could release a projectile that would slam into a satellite and degrade it or destroy it. And that's the concern. And as you mentioned, that this base plane had been in orbit for several months before it engaged in the launching of the projectile. So it's possible that China could send planes uh, into orbit for months and we wouldn't see the effects until later. Correct. That's exactly right. And let me follow up a bit more on uh, China's satellite program. We also know that China has been very active in sending satellites to space. And you also mentioned China's Beidou navigation system. Generally, what 
What are these Chinese satellites for? Are most of the satellites that China has been sending to space, are they for civilian purposes, military or dual use, or do we not have a clear sense? If I can start by saying that China's satellite capabilities are rapidly growing, both in terms of the, the quality and capability, as well as the quantity. And this ties back to an earlier part of our conversation. This is driven by clear political will, by government prioritization, and large state and private sector investments. According to a Defense Intelligence Agency unclassified report, China had doubled the number of satellites it has in orbit um, from about 250 to 500 satellites between 2019 and 2021. So in two years' time, they doubled the amount of satellites that they had on orbit. The chief of space operations, General Saltzman, recently testified before Congress that China has over 700 operational satellites now. So that is second only to the United States in number of satellites, including intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance satellites. And I think the significance of those ISR satellites is China is looking to leverage ISR satellites the same way that we do, is to detect and understand activity happening on Earth, to identify targets, and then also to close their own kill chains to be able to hold targets on Earth at risk and then to be able to put weapons on them. Interestingly, too, on the economic front or the commercial front, China has surpassed all but the United States in terms of the number of space startups that receive funding. Um, and they're now leading the world in terms of the number of commercial space companies being established. Um, interestingly, when we go back to that, that question that you had on, you know, what does leading in space look like? The U.S. National Geospatial Intelligence Agency, NGA, put out an assessment back in 2021 that's, that said that looked at different categories of geospatial intelligence. So think space-based imagery capabilities. And of nine categories, they assessed China was the global leader in three of those nine categories. And so clearly they're making inroads through both their government and commercial sector to try to best uh, to try to be the, the the world leader in different areas, whether it be imagery and ISR or other other space areas. Carrie, you mentioned that China has over seven hundred operational satellites, second only to the United States. How many does the United States have? So, based on some other databases out there, there's a a bit over five thousand operational satellites on orbit. Uh, and that the United States is over 50% of those. So the United States still has the lead, but I would say China in the last couple of years, they are rapidly accelerating their space programs and they're putting a lot of stuff up on orbit. And they're, they're poised to do even more. I didn't mention they're looking at building their version of a SpaceX's Starlink, they call it GuoNet, which would be a 13,000 satellite constellation in low Earth orbit to provide broadband internet communications for users across the globe. And just um, given that the number of U.S. satellites, which uh, you suggested was about 2,500 compared to China's seven operation, 700 operational satellites, 
linking back to what you mentioned in terms of China wanting to lead in space, you mentioned that China had really accelerated the number of satellites. And do you expect this acceleration to continue? Um, and do you expect China to want to surpass the number of satellites the United States has in space? Absolutely. And I go back to that this is a national priority of President Xi's. This is part of his space dream to lead in space by 2049. And although I can't tell you what that leadership would look like, a number of satellites, the capability of those satellites, clearly I think would factor into that. And could I just ask, why do we need so many or why does China need so many? So as we look at the satellites, we're not even talking about hundreds. We're talking about, as you mentioned, over 2,000 satellites. Is it for redundancy with the potential that if certain satellites are knocked off, China can rely on others? Or is it because the more you have, the more coverage you have globally? I just want to understand why is there such an interest in a very large number of satellites. Think of it like we think of it in other domains. So look at the air domain or at sea. In the air domain, how many commercial airliners do we have? And think about all the different types of commercial airliners from Boeing to Airbus to Aeroflot. And then in the military, you have a range of different types of jets from fighter aircraft, some that are short range, some that are designed for air to air, tankers, Uh, cargo aircraft. So you have a whole different range of capabilities depending on the mission and the application. Thinking the same thing happens in space. So depending on the mission or the application of space data, you may have some satellites that are optimized for providing weather and other ones that are optimized to detect missile launches used detecting the infrared heat signature. You have others that are optimized to provide communications. So all different types of satellites for different missions. Plus, you have satellites that sit in different orbits. So satellites closer to the Earth in low Earth orbit, think about a couple of hundred miles above the Earth's surface. This is where the International Space Station sits. You're closer to the Earth. So if you have a camera on your satellite and you're, you're taking images, The closer you are, the sharper your image is going to be. But you can only see a narrow slice of the Earth at any given time. So you need a lot of satellites in low Earth orbit to provide global coverage. There are other satellites that you may want to position into higher orbit. So geosynchronous orbit, which is about 36,000 kilometers away from Earth. That's great if you want to, you, you match the rotation of the Earth. And so it lo- you, you have a, a large spotlight covering a fourth to a third of the Earth at any given time, or you can just sit there and stare. And that has its benefits as, as well. So different orbits and different types of missions lead you to differently designed satellites. And as you look across all uh, the different orbits within space, is one orbit more weaponized than, than others? What we highlight in our report this year is that what China and Russia in particular are pursuing in their space weapons programs, there is no orbit out of reach of their counter space weapons. So they can hold satellites in any orbit at risk. Great. And that leads me to ask a bit about 
what are China's counter space capabilities? And what does this mean for China's space power? Do most people view China's counter space capabilities as a threat? I've spent a good amount of my career monitoring space threats. With China, what I've seen is them start with small-scale research and development. In 2007, they conducted an anti-satellite test where they launched a missile at one of their defunct satellites and created a large field of debris that will continue to be up on orbit for decades to come. What I see now is they've moved beyond that small-scale R&D. They are now fielding counterspace weapons. They're organizing, they're training and exercising. They put into production different counterspace weapons. They have more expansive research and development across all orbits. But remember, you don't just need to threaten a satellite on orbit to have an effect. That satellite has to communicate with the ground station so you can disrupt that communications link. Or you can target a ground station that controls those satellites and that 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 brings data down to the ground and distributes to users. So I'm seeing more expansive R&D, fielding, and then a full range of weapons from cyber and electronic warfare weapons to disrupt those links all the way to the more destructive kinetic counterspace weapons like missiles and core orbital anti-satellite capabilities that put all satellites in all orbits at risk. There is not an orbit that they can't reach. And Terry, you had mentioned that like Russia, China has the capabilities to counter space capabilities to reach assets in, in any orbit. And um, you also just mentioned that China is rapidly expanding its capabilities across a variety of dimensions in terms of training, exercise, production, R&D. I wanted to ask, are you seeing, in, in addition to expansion of capabilities, any activities that China is doing in space that shows that China is aggressive in space? And I wonder if, if you could, do you see any differences in how China is operating in space versus how Russia is operating in space? That's a great question. And, and where I'd like to go with that is to highlight what we're seeing today on the battlefield and what China may be observing on the battlefield of Ukraine. The use of counterspace weapons, it's not a hypothetical thing. In the war in Ukraine, as Russia was getting ready to cross the border last winter, they launched cyber attacks against commercial communication satellites. They were targeting Ukrainian government and military users that communicate via those satellites, but they deliberately sought to degrade their communications by targeting commercial communication satellites. Russia has since then continued to uh, target other communication satellites like Starlink, which is providing a lifeline for Ukrainian government and military users, as well as the general population so that they can communicate with the outside world to show the horrors of, of what's happening on the ground. GPS, which is used for 
precision navigation and precision weapons employment, um, GPS continues to be interfered with in that region. So we are seeing the employment of counter space weapons on the battlefield. I then think about, well, what, what, what lessons is China taking from this? It's long, it's been believed that in the early stages of a conflict, China would seek to target our space capabilities. If they want to disrupt our ability to send forces forward, you go after our ability to communicate, to navigate. You go after our ability to collect intelligence information to figure out where their forces are arrayed. So there's long been concern that they would seek to target space early. So aside from what's happening in Ukraine and aside from what China might be learning from how Russia is operating in Ukraine, have we seen any activities that China has conducted in space to date um, that has threatened either U.S. space assets or those of our allies and partners? We have seen in the last couple of years, and it's highlighted in previous versions of our space threat assessment, which I commend to your audience, a range of Chinese activity in space that poses a threat to U.S. and allied and partner space operations, as well as could potentially threaten our forces on the ground. And I should start with that. In 2021, you may have heard about something called the FOBS test, Fractional Orbital Bombardment System. The Chinese launched a hypersonic glide vehicle into Earth, into space. It circled the Earth. It re-entered and then glided towards its target. So imagine now if China operationalizes that, they could have these hypersonic glide vehicles that are that are launched and just sitting in orbit. And then at, at the right time, Beijing could send a command to direct that hypersonic glide vehicle down to any point on the Earth. These types of hypersonic glide vehicles would pose a real challenge for our defenses if it's up there circling and then at any point in time could re-enter Earth's atmosphere and, and hit a target. We've also been watching in the last couple of years what China is doing out in geosynchronous orbit. It's stalking of other satellites and something called RPO, Rendezvous and Proximity Operations, where it will uh, come up close to satellites, check them out, and then potentially latch onto them and move them. We saw them do this to one of their own satellites back in in early 2022, where Xinjiang 21, this was a satellite out on GEO, maneuvered around an inactive Chinese GPS satellite, their version of GPS on it. So this is a non-cooperative satellite. Xinjiang latched onto that satellite and then moved it out into a different orbit, into a graveyard orbit where we put junk. It was a technology demonstration, but at the same point in time, it clearly showed a counter space weapons capability. If it can demonstrate that it can grab and move uh, one of its own dead satellites, it could do that with other satellites. We're seeing Chinese satellites in GEO to this day 
play these cat and mouse games with our assets where one of our assets may be look may may come up to it and it'll move away. It will come up to one of our assets and then our asset will move away. So uh, what we've seen happen in other domains is now happening in the space domain as well. Given all the, the range of activities that China could engage uh, in space, whether against our our assets or our allies and partners' assets in space, are there any rules or norms governing the, how China can or should act? And if there are rules or, or norms, have China agreed to them? It's a great question, Bonnie, and it's an area that policymakers are putting in gre- increasing attention towards. And there really aren't good answers right now uh, when it comes to China is I mentioned these cat and mouse games that are playing out 36,000 kilometers away from Earth with our satellites and with these Chinese satellites. You start to ask the question of, well, how close is close enough? When does an action start to cross a line where it could be malintent um, and it could be seen as a threat. We don't have these good norms of behavior and it'll be important going forward to work with a, an, in, a, an interested community, particularly with our allies and partners to think through what should responsible behavior in space be. Then we can identify when behavior is reckless, threatening, and, and, and out of the ordinary. There's also an important reason why we'd need norms as well, which is really on this, this commercial front, is we talked about the burgeoning commercial sector, the launch of these very large constellations. Starlink is, is in the um, over 10,000 plans are to for it to grow to 20 to, to 40,000. Amazon Kuiper is launching a large constellation. OneWeb, China has announced plans to launch its own large 13,000 satellite constellation. Now you're starting to talk about traffic management in space. Who has the right of way? What happens if there's a risk of a collision? What do you do? So we need to develop these norms of behavior, not just for threats, but also how do commercial actors operate in space? The challenge in all of this is going to be, I think there's good momentum within the United States and then the international community, a large portion of the international community. But I'll tell you, Russia and China are still sitting on the sidelines on this. And that's particularly challenging. A good example of this is actually on the diplomatic front. Last year, the White House uh, announced a ban on destructive anti-satellite missile tests, not conducting tests that would create debris that would be up in orbit for years to come and, and potentially be harmful to other satellites. Since then, there was a UN resolution with over uh, with 155 nations that voted in support of this. Nine were against, and you can guess which countries those were. I'm guessing that includes China and Russia? Yes. So, Carrie, in the interest of time, I do want to start wrapping up by looking forward, looking ahead. In your view, 
what are some developments or goals in in China space program that we should be uh, most focused on, most monitoring? What what worries you the most about China space program moving forward? A couple of things. They not only have national space ambitions, but they have global ambitions. And they have incorporated their space programs into their broader Belt and Road Initiative. They actually have a name for it. It's called the Space Information Corridor. And so it's bundling space capabilities and space services with the other infrastructure, information and communications technology and other areas that they're exporting to countries. We're seeing this in Latin America, in Africa, in the Middle East. But, and you know this better than anybody, this expanding space network, this Belt and Road Initiative and dependency on Beijing, it comes at at a price for these countries as Beijing seeks to translate their economic influence into coercive leverage into a greater military footprint across the globe and into means to acquire advanced technology that they bring back and apply for their own military purposes. Their military civil fusion policy that blurs the distinction between what is uniquely civil or commercial and what is uniquely military or defense also applies to the space arena. So when China articulates their their made in China 2025 policy, space or aerospace is one of those top 10 priorities. You may think that you're dealing with a commercial entity, but they have a policy where that technology should also be applied to the military. You pair that with their national intelligence law passed in 2017 that compels Chinese organizations and citizens to support national intelligence work and to protect that relationship. It is concerning that anything that they do on the commercial or civil front, they will direct it also towards their military capability. And as we know, technology advantage leads to a military advantage. And so the more that they chip away at our space and our technology advantage, the more that that erodes our military advantage. And I don't want our young men and women being sent into a fair fight. Let me just wrap up with a final question that very much relates to um, our overall topic of understanding what it means as China is rapidly expanding its space capabilities. Uh, The space is often described as the final frontier, right? So As China is expanding its capabilities, seeking to lead in space by 2049, what does that actually mean in terms of international cooperation, competition, security? Like how important is space going to be as we look into the future? The reality that we're in is that space is a contested environment. It was long this pristine environment We could build these big, exquisite satellites. We did not have to worry about protecting them. But now with what China, Russia, and others are doing, these satellites that have long given us an advantage on the battlefield, great intelligence information, and 
benefited our economy, those space capabilities are now at risk. When the Department of Defense talks about space, they now talk about it as a warfighting domain. And it's for these reasons that they do. Just like we do in other domains, in air or at sea, where we figured out how the military operates in the domain, how uh, civilian and scientific activities happen, and then how commerce, how commercial aviation or commercial shipping, all, all of these coexist in the domain. And we're going to have to figure that out in the space domain as well. There's a reason that Space Force and Space Command were created by Congress. And it was to address this growing threat, uh, this, this contested environment, and the need for our, our space community to deliver capabilities faster to those that need it. We're also now having to think about protecting our space capabilities in ways that we haven't before. That's why we're seeing an increased emphasis on these resilient, proliferated architectures, architectures with many satellites so that you can withstand an attack if some of them are affected. Uh, that really is its deterrence by denial, uh, not in allowing your adversary to achieve their objective. It's also why you're seeing a greater emphasis on commercial and allied and partner space capabilities, is integrating all of those together into a broader, more resilient architecture. And I think we'll continue to see a good amount of effort on the diplomatic front, both in terms of, of efforts like uh, banning destructive missile tests, as well as evolving and maturing our norms of behavior, both to highlight threatening activity, but also just to create a more safe and sustainable operating domain for commercial operators, civil operators, and then for the national security community as well. Great. Thank you, Carrie, for this very wide-ranging discussion, not only on China's space program and ambitions, but also the importance of space for U.S. national security and our economy. Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, Bonnie. I love nerding out on space any chance I can get. And as you can tell, there is uh, so much happening in this domain related to national security and our economic security. So I appreciate you giving me uh, the opportunity to, to talk to your viewers today about that. Thank you. Thank you.